But if you look at war, Tommy Edmond has basically been Colton Wong. I mean, if you if you look at them 2019 and 2020, if you can get close to the same war for $11 million less cost, that seems like a way where you could open up a lineup spot for some of that power that you're looking for. Because that's the other thing. You've got to have a spot. And I think they need more than one, to be honest. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the best podcast in baseball, brought to you by Closets by Design. I'm St. Louis Post-Dispatch baseball writer Derek Gould. And since there is a lot to talk about in baseball since we last had a podcast, which seems like eons ago but really wasn't all that long ago, I have got somebody who just talks a lot. I mean, it talks a lot about baseball. KMOX's Kevin Wheeler. I can say that now, right? KMOX is 11.20 a.m. Kevin Wheeler, welcome back to the Mox, and welcome back to the best podcast in baseball, Kevin. Uh, it's good to be with you, man. I, you know, I know, you know, I love talking ball, and when we get the chance to do this, there's nothing better. And obviously, I'm pretty thrilled being back at KMOX, man. You know, it's not that often in our business you get to go back to a place that you really loved before. You know, uh, so uh, you know the fact that it worked out, the fact that nothing has changed there, Derek. Like all of the people that are were my friends when I was there before are basically there now. Uh, so it's almost like nothing changed in six or seven years. <laughs> Except for everything. Everything has changed. <laughs> I met the, the, the staff, but yeah, a lot has yeah. changed just in the last year for sure. Yeah, yeah. So I, how do we, I mean, you're the seasoned veteran host of audio shows and I just type fast. So how do we attack this i mean we got justin turner at the end of the world series we got the world yeah. series which was really in a lot of ways a great world series we got colton wong's option not being picked up we got options galore all over baseball not being picked up because of the economic situation and there's tony Larusa on the south side of chicago okay where do we start first man how do I we do it- this you know normally you know like the the way we do it for a radio show is what is most important to who's listening at that moment because it's live, right? I mean, so how do you get people to hang around? Well, you hit the the most important thing that people would be talking about. So in that case, we would start with Colton Wong and Cardinal stuff and then eventually transition into the others. If if this was like terrestrial, traditional radio, you know? Right. But? But it's not. So, I mean, it's like dealer's choice. (laughs) (laughs) I'm tempted to go chronologically, but yeah, let's do it. actually, you know what? That's a good place to start. Let's go chronologically because you were such a champion of Randy Rosarena. You made it a shtick. Um, I hope you take that as a compliment. <laughs> yes. You, you made Randy a hashtag here in St. Louis. What did you see in him? And, you know, how much does he then become to personify a real issue for the Cardinals? with what he did in the World Series. That'll be our entry. Yeah, you know, I mean, like, first thing I saw, and it was very brief glimpses of actually seeing him, right? It was, you know, some video streaming online. It was seeing him play in some spring training games. It really, and also, you know, obviously it's about, you know, reading the prospect profiles that people like you put out there when you, when you, uh, you know, contribute to the, baseball america top tens and you know when i read the other you know third party prospect evaluator um you know opinions but it's also like what what i know about you know how the numbers work in each league right like it, yeah. you know, every, every league's a little different so you gotta have to grade on a curve in the florida state league compared to to the texas league and all that and you know what we saw was what last year was all about to me was simply that he was red hot and none of your guys were 
right? I mean, like this was a guy that was absolutely crushing. Even even though, even though the numbers were stupid in AAA last year because they started using the major league ball, he was still like forty five percent above league average, right? right? I mean, like that that was what drew me to it, and it was also just the the lack of of energy that you saw with the offense in 2019 with the Cardinals. And, you know, I, I, I'm not like down on any of the players that they like. I mean, I think, you know, like the talent is evident with Harrison Bader and Tyler O'Neill, but you know, performance matters. And I know they had Ozuna and Fowler in the corners too, but there was a period of time. I don't remember how long it lasted, Derek, but wasn't there a period in 2019 where Ozuna was on the DL for a while? Yeah. And there, you know, when, when you look at these opportunities, you had that, that time where you could have gone to one of the hottest bats in professional baseball. Um, you know, they had the time and I, I actually did this. I looked it up on fan graphs and I sorted through the dates. I don't remember the exact dates now, but it was like late May to mid July. Bader was one of the five or six worst hitters in baseball. Like he, that's how low his production was. And you know, the, the solution was Tommy Edmond in the outfield or the solution was, you know, to keep running Harrison Bader out there. And I just, I was confused more than anything as to what, what a guy has to do to get a look when he's that hot. Like, I don't think that, that what we saw from a Rosarena this year, Derek, is what he's going to be as an everyday player. Like, I, I don't, you know, I, I joked with my buddies. I have a, a fantasy league I've been in, Derek, for 25 years. And, you know, most of us, I'd say half the league, we've been in it from the beginning and we have a text string and we joke about it. In that, I've invented invented a new nickname for a Rosarena. I now call him Randy Arozacuna because that's the kind of, <laughs> <laughs> because, because those are the kind of numbers that he's put up here, right? In 2020, yeah. I don't think he's that. I don't think that we're talking about a guy that's going to go win an MVP. It was just, you know, when it, when it came to 2019 and what the team needed and what he was doing, it just shocked me that they never thought, you know what? Well, let's give this guy some run. Let's give this guy a chance because, you know, we got one guy that's not hitting and I'm, I'm guessing, and I know we probably talked about this before. And I think you explained it, that they didn't, they didn't necessarily love his defense in center field. And that's fair, but you know, I mean, when you need offense, you need offense. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, there were a couple of things about him that gave them pause. I don't, I, if I can explain without advocating, which is always yeah, a tricky yeah. thing. But, I mean, I can explain some of the things. Like, one of them was defense, right? And uh, I guess there were three. Okay, so, and the third one leads to a a rather important question about him. But the the first one was defense. Like, where does he play? Can he be reliable? Is he going to make the regular plays? All that stuff. That was a question. The other one is some of those numbers that he put up, and we saw this in in the World Series or in the playoffs season too, is he mauls fastballs. He just crushes fastballs. And then he could take breaking balls. So he had this really good on-base percentage, always did, um, you know, back to the Mexico League a lot. And it was like one of the more appealing things to him. But one of the questions was, was like, what happens when those breaking balls are strikes and he doesn't just spit on them and take his walks? Mm-hmm. What happens then? Because right. that's what's going to happen at the highest level. Is that's what was happening now. to O'Neill and Bader. Right, exactly. And so they, they sort of saw, that's a great point. Yeah, so they saw, sort of saw, you know, history repeating itself or at least thought it might and had to make that call. The other one was um, re- somewhat related to both of them is they were really positioning Lane Thomas to get a bunch of playing time. Right. Um, and then he got hurt. And that to me is where Randy had his opportunity and didn't get it. Yeah. Is the team was clearly preparing Lane Thomas to play more often in that playoff stretch there in late 2019 
in September. Mm-hmm. He was gonna he was playing well. He was about to get a lot more playing time. Then he got hurt, and they used that as the opportunity to then peel back to Bader, as opposed to move forward with Randy. And right. and it was like at that moment, the front office it became clear that well Randy's not going to get his opportunity. Right, and and it's funny because like. I think you you know you you brought this up when we were talking on KMOX uh, a couple of days ago that uh, it, it they 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 liked the player right I mean they you know they always gave him good reviews right I mean you you obviously talk to their to their evaluation staff when you're doing the stuff for Baseball America and when you're writing for for uh, the the newspaper I mean they they didn't dislike the player they didn't think he wasn't good I mean there's a reason they wanted a top 100 prospect if they were going to move him so it's not a matter of not thinking he was good it was really to me just the fact that he never got the chance to run for four three four five weeks and if he had that leaves you know everybody wondering whether or not he'd still be with the Cardinals and might have been there in 2020 producing where others were not and it's there's no exact science it may not have gone that way I mean it's just when you're when you're a fan watching games and you're seeing a guy that your team had a year ago and never gave a look and then he's out there dominating the postseason and arguably having one of the best postseasons in playoff history. I, I, you know, obviously there's going to be frustration and confusion about that. As there should be. And, you know, one of the things that Mosellock said was that they need to do a better job. His exact phrase was like, I'll own it. That's on me with Mm -hmm. the Randy Rosarena trade. And then he said, we have one of the things they tell you in baseball is you better know your own players. Clearly the Cardinals did not. It was his argument and they need to do a better job of ranking them. I somewhat disagree agree with that premise i think there's something more to it and i will get to that with you kevin after i tell everybody about our sponsor imagine your home totally organized closet by design specializes in custom closets pantries laundry rooms garages and more now get 40 percent off plus an additional 15 percent off closets by design 314-733-88 sorry 9855 314-733-9855 that's closet by design of st louis the official sponsor of the best podcast in baseball Kevin, this has something to do with Colton Wong, too, is this idea that it's not about ranking prospects. It's about or about knowing what talent you have. It's about finding a way to maximize that talent at the major league level. One of the bits of news that did happen amidst all this that we didn't even include in the list to intro was the return of the Cardinals coaches and staff. So that means Mike Maddox is pitching staff or pitching coaches back. That means, you know, Jeff Albert is batting coaches back. So they're bringing back Schultz staff. And, you know, the Cardinals had Randy Rosarena, and they thought they had a good feel for what he was. And they, they thought he had talent, and they identified that talent. And then he goes off, and he manifests that talent. The Cardinals feel like Tyler O'Neill has power and talent and ability, and he could win a gold glove. He's already got the Fielding Bible Award for left yeah, field. He yeah. has all the right metrics and, and played well in left field. Um, you know, and he might do that, but the, the offense hasn't manifested. Harrison Bader is athletic, has a lot to like, um, has a lively bat, but the consistency hasn't manifested. Randall Grittrick is a, you know, he's putting up similar numbers with Toronto than he did with St. Louis. But I don't think he's the same player. Um, you know, I mean, and I know that sounds odd, but it just seems like he's getting there at a more consistent stretch. And consistency is so valuable in the game, and so it's manifested there. Stephen Piscotti has been the player for Oakland that he was for the Cardinals. Um, Basically, you know, yeah. That, yeah, he's, he, that's who he is. 
but the Cardinals really have an issue with how do they have the talent that they identify. So it's not ranking. It's I, it, they identify the talent. How do they get that to manifest at the major league level? And where that becomes so important now is because they may be doing that at second base. They need to not just identify who they have, their backup at second base, but they have to have that, you know, that player manifest more production. They're going to have to do that in the outfield too. If they go shopping for an outfielder, they need to get a guy who is going to improve with them. And they just haven't had that. No, you're right. I mean, like that, that's been the big issue that, you know, people have had. It's yeah. The, the players that have gone on and had success. Like I, I'm, I think you're right about Grichik. He's basically the same guy that he was in St. Louis. They just play him every day in Toronto and they don't pull him in and out of the lineup. And I know they went through that. And that's allowed him to be consistent. Yeah. 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 I mean, he, but he's still like his, his OPS was Harrison Bader's this year. You know I mean? Mm -hmm. They were basically the same guy, you know, and, and, you know, Grichik is, going to play, you know, he hits right-handers a little bit better. That's the problem with, with Bader, especially this year. I mean, like yeah. he was, he was OPS against lefties was over a thousand. And then if it was, when it was, uh, you know, a right-hander, it was under, it was around 600 and that gap. And that's a similar gap for Gritchick. It's not as big, but it's the same idea. Um, right. Yeah. There's, there's partly that, that element of guys leaving and doing better. People get all over the Luke Voigt thing, but I don't think anybody in the world thought Luke Voigt was going to do what he's done. I don't think the Yankees thought that. I don't think anybody did. Uh, and at the time, he wasn't going to play first base because they were going to go get Goldschmidt or somebody along those lines that offseason anyway. But I do think that, you know, there's an interesting question about, like, Ozuna comes here and has two kind of okay, right, years, nothing special, certainly not MVP, and he gets to Atlanta, and all of a sudden there's big numbers. Now, I would point out that if you look at Ozuna's career, the, the, the Ozuna that the Cardinals got has been the majority of the Ozuna seasons, right? Like that's, you know, he right. he's been around seven, eight years and five or six of them look like that. He's had one and a half where he looked like he did against Atlanta this year or in Atlanta this year. You know, he had the yeah. one year, one year in, in, in Miami that was like that. And obviously two months in Atlanta. That I would argue like that. that he's had two years like that because he, the second half of the year before, once he finally kind of found some footing in Miami, um, you know, and wasn't being, you know, I mean, he was demoted once with Miami um, and they were wondering what to do with him a lot, but then he had a strong second half yeah. then an amazing year right before he was traded for the, you know, to the Cardinals. And then this half season with the Braves. And, and I think that, you know, the, there's, there's a lot of like fascinating things to look at in, in how this is going to manifest, as you pointed out, like it's, it's about figuring out how do you get the production at your on your team to be like what it is in other places and you know that i i don't know for sure derek i mean i know that it's hard for right-handed power hitters at bush stadium i know that mm -hmm. but that doesn't have anything to do with swinging and missing all the time <laughs> no, no if you're i think you're, any, i have to check the park factors kevin but i think any ballpark is hard on hitters who swing and miss i, <laughs> I don't know for sure um i'll have to check that i mean i guess you know, maybe I hear things about Yankee Stadium that there's a jet stream, but I still think you have to make contact. Yes, yes. If you if you don't, yeah, take take that barrel and make that hit the the center part of the baseball, maybe the bottom third of the baseball. It's not going to go anywhere. And, right. You know, I think you, even the vacuum that they would create at the Metrodome by changing what doors were open when. Yeah. I even think there you had to make contact. The yes. vacuum wasn't enough to just suck the baseball back. That's correct. And okay. All it, right. it, you, know, you wonder so. if it maybe if it maybe leads to a change in approach though, right? Where you're like, 
you're trying to hit for power, and it's just the ball doesn't go anywhere. You hit the ball to left center field, and it just dies on the in the air. And this yes. has been going on for like five, six, seven years now. Um, and I remember it was a relatively new thing. And it was when I was still at KMOX the first time, Derek. So we're going back, you know, a good solid seven years at least, um, you know, 2013-ish, 2012, 2013, where it was a topic mm-hmm. then too, where for, it, I don't know if it dramatically changed, but it sure seemed like there was a period of time there, maybe the when Ballpark Village was constructed, where that there's just nothing that goes out to left center field unless it's absolutely destroyed. And if that changes your mindset and you're trying to swing harder or trying to pull a little bit more than you normally would because the ball doesn't carry to the center part of the ballpark, you know, that can put you in a position where you're going to cheat a little bit and swing and miss more. So, you know, there are, there are a number of things that go into it, but I, I do think that that's going to be the the mystery that has to be solved moving forward, right? Is, you know, is, I don't know if the solution is more left-handed power hitters. Maybe they'll have more success going down the right field line. Um you know, that worked great for Matt Carpenter until about the last year and a half. Uh, right. And I still, I don't know if there's anything, you know, to this, but I still feel like there's a physical problem there that may not be quote unquote an injury, but some kind of change. Because, I mean, I don't think you go from an awesome hitter three, four straight years in a row, five straight years in a row, and all of a sudden you can't hit anymore without some physical explanation. Some kind of, well, I mean, he's had back issues. Yeah, and right, so did right. that throw it off? And, right. you know, is there a weakness aspect? I, I do think that, like, he tried to, um, I think he became pull happy to beat the shift mm-hmm. and then lost the authority to left field. And you can see that in his numbers, you know, yeah. as, mo- yeah. as far as light fly balls to left field, which are now outs and versus the doubles. And, you know, that, that brings me to a question. What's so wrong with doubles? Like, you just talked about how, Bush Stadium plays and you know when we talk about damage too much of the focus a lot of times is on homers you know the Rays got to the World Series not with a great offense but with a a, a power-packed offense that got Randy Rosarena hitting a lot of home runs so many of their runs on their way to the American League pennant and then on yeah. the way to the World Series were via the home run um, but if you call Bush Stadium home what's so wrong with doubles that that's another way to get damage you know, that's yeah. another way to get slugging is to get two, you know, for every one. And doubles are okay. And you think back to when that offense was really good and really consistent, it it had Matt Carpenter to lash in doubles at the top. Yeah. And, you know, when we're talking about power, I mean, the Cardinals, yeah, this, this season, this is a short season, but still they ranked last in homers. They also ranked last in doubles, you know, so yeah. – I mean, yeah. when you when you combine those two things, that's where you struggle to score because, you know, this is something that I, I still think sometimes there are people even who work around the game and fans who pay attention every day but still think of things like the old way where, you know, you're going to string a bunch of hits together and all that. And that, that, that era is over. Like, you yeah. know, with the, with the quality of relievers and the way pitchers are used and the quality of the fastballs combined with how we can now, you know, shape a pitch – win bullpens using all the great technology to figure out what's the best way to do it. Where's your best grip? You know, are you getting to your release point? Like all, you know, we, we can, pitchers are just better right now than they've ever been as a whole. It's the hardest to hit ever. I agree. It's never been harder to hit. And you know, when you, when you've got that, you know, tacked onto what we're talking about. um, Yeah. It's, it's, it's not an easy thing to do to string together five singles. Um, you're right. much more likely to make outs and strike out with strikeouts being high. That's why the damage is more of a thing because you don't need three or four or five guys in a row to do a job. You need one or two. A walk and a blast is probably your best rally 
based on how the game is right now, whether you like that or not, that's what it is. Yeah, that's a great point. Were you were you surprised by the Wong decision? No, no. I I mean, you know, for for you know, from from the end of the playoffs until you know the, that we that that day came. I had raised it a couple times on the air and and uh, maybe once or twice on Twitter, but mostly on the air that this is one way that they could decide to save some money and do some other things. And, you know, if you're going to measure, and you, you know, we've talked about it over the years, Derek. I'm not a huge fan of war. I mean, I, I don't hate it. It's useful in some ways, uh, especially to start a conversation. But I do think it's some, sometimes that there's defenses weighted too heavily because I don't think the gap between a great defender and a good defender is typically all that measurable, you know, in, in terms of real game situations, it might be one play a week as opposed to, you know, four at bats a day that, that is impacted in the difference between, you know, a, a guy that's elite and a guy that's just pretty good in, in yeah. their position, especially in the outfield, but also in the infield. But if you look at war, Tommy Edmond has basically been Colton Wong. I mean, if you, if you look at them 2019 and 2020, and, and account for the fact that Edmund had fewer games because he didn't play the whole season in 2019. They're not that far off each other. And I looked at that. I'm like, well, if you can get close to the same war for $11 million less cost, that seems like a way where you could open up a lineup spot for some of that power that you're looking for. Because that's the other thing. You've got to have a spot. And I think they need more than one, to be honest, Derek. I mean, I, you know, I think that, you know, if you create that spot there, whether it's, you know, a third baseman coming in or some other kind of combo where Edmund could move around a little bit. I think having Edmund Wong Molina um, and Fowler and Bader all in the same lineup. And maybe I'll take Fowler out of that because he's a little bit better. But I mean, if you, if you have three or four spots where you're just not going to get power, you're just not, I mean, Bader's going to hit some home runs, but he's not a home run hitter, right? He's not a, he's not a big power guy. Wong's not a power guy. Edmund's not a power guy. Yachty is not a power guy anymore. If he's coming back, can you afford four lineup spots like that? Not in today's game. That's my point. Like, yeah, yeah, you know what? Ten years ago, you're probably okay. Right no, now, pro- not even. <laughs> but, yeah, <laughs> 20, yeah, twenty years ago, twenty years ago, then. But yeah, I think that the 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 the, the, the ability to find power is going to be is going to be first and foremost. And you know, maybe Derek, the 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 embracing of the the way the Rays put together their lineup, the way that they play matchups. Yes, left right matchups, but also. Guys who hit sliders versus guys who hit a hundred, and knowing who should be in the lineup against each guy, maybe that's kind of the 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 middle step here, right? Because twenty twenty one is going to be weird. I don't think anybody's going to throw around stupid money, and the Cardinals certainly aren't going to throw around stupid money in free agency. Maybe the way to get more of that is to find partners for the players that you have, and guys that can do, you know, that can again match up against right-handers better than say Harrison Bader does. A bunch of switch hitters who play a bunch of different positions. I mean, again, I use the Rays as the as the example, right? I mean, yeah. now that still probably doesn't get them into the World Series. What got them to the World Series was a a single player going bananas. <laughs> if 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 a Rosa Reina was just decent and not amazing, they don't even get to the World Series. But no. it's also how they became they were the best team in the American League doing it that way. And they've been consistent for about three years now of being one of the better teams in the league, even without the big stars and the big payroll. I think their pitching staff and their defense also absolutely smothered the Houston Astros. For sure. Yeah, I mean, that look, you know, that the series had to go seven games, but that's what is possible if you know the the Rays 
I mean, the, the, the Astros could whip off a running a winning streak against them because it was like you, you can only hold that offense at bay for so long. But you could hold it at right. bay and long enough to win four. Yeah, and look, if you, if you look at the Cardinals and the Rays, they're both exceptional defensive teams. They yep. both have really deep pitching stabs and, and you know, guys that throw 100 and guys that, that are different looks in the bullpen. I mean, that's one thing the Cardinals, you know, if you compare them, those things are similar. The difference mm-hmm. is that the Rays were simply a middle-of-the-pack offense. They, they were, I think, 15, 16, somewhere in, in Major League Baseball in OPS and in runs scored. They weren't a special offense, and that's kind of my point is I don't think the Cardinals need to be the Dodgers or the Braves or No, they or need to be the average. Astros. Yeah, get to the middle of the pack, and I think you're a team that can get to the World Series. They need to be average. They need to find a way to be an average offense, and then they will be an exceptional team. It's that simple. Yeah, and you know what's funny is I I can hear people already right now. I know we're going to be getting messages like, yeah, sure, just strive for average. (laughs) That's not what we're saying, Twitter guy. it's an average (laughs) offense. No, but it's also like but you're not going to go from last to first in one offseason, and you're not going to do that in this offseason. Where oh, no. you know finances yeah. are strapped, it's not like you're going to go out and sign JT Real Muto and George Springer and be like, "Yep, here we go." They're not going to do that. I mean, I'd be all for it, but yeah, no, no, I don't think so. Yeah, well, average is not mediocre. I mean, I guess, I guess that's the thing is like average yes. is not mediocre. Major League Baseball average is pretty good. Now, I will accept any argument that an average offense is not an entertaining offense these days, that is entirely possible. Um, You know, the Dodgers are an entertaining offense. The Dodgers are, and I I will say this carefully. I, I, uh, I think that might be the best lineup I've ever seen in my time covering baseball, the best lineup, not the best team, but I think the Dodgers had the best lineup I've ever seen. I mean, it's deep. And it's got a lot of different looks that they bring at you. I mean, when you have Cody Bellinger hitting sixth in the postseason, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I I think we you know there are, historically speaking, we could probably look back at some offenses and find numbers that are better. But the fact is that you know you count their lineup, Derek, not just as the nine who are playing on a given day, but also the next three or four that co- that come into play, and they're all good, and they all have roles, and they all yep. have something they can provide. Yeah, and they all do they do different things. They do those different things very well. You have, you know, a lot of it is Mookie Betts at the top of that lineup is mm-hmm. he's just such a brilliant, exceptional multifaceted player. And, and I think Cody Bellinger does not get enough credit as a very similar player who does a lot of things really, really well. Um, then you have a hitter like Justin Turner, who we will talk about um, there in the middle of the lineup. And, you know, I was really impressed with Will Smith, young catcher who yep. did some time at really DH is. and cleanup hitter. Man, he he's very impressive. And in and some ways, add you know, Gavin Lux to that next year, by the way. Yeah, they're going to add the pride of Wisconsin, Gavin Lux, to yeah. that. Um, you know, I, I I just you know, he, he, Max Muncy is a really good hitter. He's he is what the Cubs really wish um, Schwarber was. Um, you know, I, I just think there's. Yeah, they just do a lot of things. Well, Taylor, Taylor's a good player who adds different elements to them, you know, puts the ball in play, does, you know, line drives, you know, he's, he doesn't get to damage the way some of these other guys do, but he can do it. And he can play anywhere. And he can play anywhere. Um, You know, Jock Peterson is a left-handed bat who's a free agent here in the near future and really in a lot of ways should be atop the Cardinals 
list for conversations that they have um, this year as, as far as free agents go. I don't know what that looks like. Nobody does at this point. But, you know, I, I just I look at that lineup and I, I was trying to think like going back to when I started in 04. I mean, you could argue that the Cardinals lineup of 04 was just yeah was remarkable. But yep. those guys weren't at the peak of their powers. I mean, that was a tremendous lineup. But you had Larry Walker. Um, you know, towards the end of his career, and you had Reggie Sanders still really contributing a lot. Um, Tony Womack, great hitter, Edgar Renteria. So maybe that's get, got a lot of the elements of the Dodgers, but the Dodgers are like at their peak right now. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think maybe the the '90s Yankees had that. It, it was a different era, not as many homers, but I think you know one to nine, there wasn't a weak spot. You like know, the Knobloch Yankees, Knobloch Jeter, Bernie Williams. Uh, you know, I mean, like. You go down the Posada. list of like you had Paul, Paul O'Neill. I mean, like you literally had a good it, your worst hitter batting ninth. I think in those years was like Scott Brocious, who was the World Series MVP, right? And a, an elite defensive player at third base for them. So I mean, an like, okay defensive player, yeah, and above well, uh, a strong defensive. player. There you go, a better way to put it. And yeah, I don't a, know about, but yeah. you had a good hitter in every other spot in the lineup. I do right? think, like quick aside, like I think how third base is played today you maybe gives us a different view. Of Scott Brogius. No, it's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, this is, this is another thing where, you know, going back to the question on Wong, Derek, um, as brilliant as he was, and there's no denying that. I mean, he's the best defensive second baseman in baseball. Um, it's yeah. not my opinion. I mean, that's the opinion of the fielding Bible, John Dewan and that group. And it's three straight years and they've never had a second baseman win that award three straight years until him. And obviously yeah. he's got a, probably going to win his second straight gold glove. Um, probably. you know, he he's the elite, but when it comes to the way they shift now and the Cardinals shift way more than they used to, some of that ranginess and all that kind of gets pushed aside because people are already there, right? You already have Tommy Edmond playing deep in the outfield. You've got another infielder on that side of the field and where it becomes more of a thing is the subtle things like turning a double play and how good Wong was at that. Um, but, you know, infield defense is probably – easier now for players than it's ever been because a lot of the work is done for them. I mean, they got a little sign in their hat that says play here for this guy. I'm not sure I agree with that. I understand exactly what you're saying that shifts can make a subpar defensive player average. We see that with the reds, right? Um, We see that with positioning, right? Like, Hey, just make the routine plays and we're going to put you where the ball is coming. You don't need range anymore. Right. Right. I, I actually disagree with the notion that then Wong is replaceable because I think that what he does is he shifts and adds range and that there are to what Schilt would call residual benefits to that. Mm -hmm. And one of those residual benefits is the performance of the left side of the infield and the Cardinals overall infield performance, which has been superb the last two years while also shifting. And I think that you cannot discount Goldschmidt's obviously influence on that, right? Like he turned sure, errors yeah. into into outs, right? Yeah, With, yeah. Like, he he not only returned the outs that should have been outs into outs because the previous first baseman didn't do that. They were actually right. giving away outs where he's yeah, saving outs on yeah. bad throws. Yeah, no. so the, yeah. that that's a massive change for sure. And I know that it's not the only thing. I mean, you know, DeYoung got better, right? I right. Mean, we, we know. But I think Wong that got better because of Wong. I, I don't I think, doubt that. Yeah. I think DeYoung's positioning was allowed to maximize his range um, and you didn't see him 
how, how often do you think you saw him on the right side of second base? Uh, it depends. It would have to be heavy pull for a lefty. Right. And how many times do we see the shortstop from the Rays on the right side of second base? Yeah. A Quite a lot. Bit. Yeah. Yeah. And part of that is Wong. Wong could cover second base to, you know, shallow right field, that range, wherever you put him. And so he he was taking hits. So like the shift, right? And we saw this, right? The shift by moving the second baseman into shallow right field takes away that base hit from left-handed hitters, right? Gives more time, shorter throw, all that. Sometimes they're line drives and they're right to the guy and it's like, oh yep. my gosh, he just yep. stole a hit. Um, Colton takes away the bloop there from a right-handed batter too because of his range. Mm-hmm. And that, yep. I, I, I don't think you, I think that when you, it's almost like a bell curve, right? Like the outliers are not going to get better with, a sh- they're not going to change with a shift. The The elite defensive players are going right. to be elite defensive players. Right. And the awful defensive players are going to be awful defensive players. What I think the shift does is it takes the ones that are just to the left of average and just to the right of average mm-hmm. and makes them all equal. Yeah. And I kind of, you know, like, like to me, the reason I bring this up is that's where I, the one area where I would say that, I'm pretty confident that Tommy Edmond is going to be similar to Wong is range. He can move. <laughs> I mean, it's not just foot speed, but I mean, he's also extremely quick. He's very explosive with the first and second step. Now, is he going to be as good turning the double play? Is he going to, is he going to have the instincts to make the, the spectacular play that? I have no idea. Cause I've never seen him play second base for an extended. We don't know. He's like going to his left, you know, no. into shallow right field. No, that's for sure, and we'd have to find out. But again, when I when I look at what the team needs, power, yeah, and the yeah. the number of ways that you can insert that into the lineup, or the number of places that you can insert that into the lineup, you can't have too many of the same kind of hitter, the low power kind of guy, and then expect that you're going to find some one guy that's going to fix it. And then you throw in the question: Is Colton Wong eleven million dollars better than Tommy Edmond? All around total total picture, and war yeah. would say war would say no. Now the you don't you know I know the that in the past year and a half the choice hasn't been between them because yeah. you had both of them in there and you could do that moving forward. But again, if you're doing that, that's one less lineup place you have for a power hitter. But that's not the reason why they made that trade. And and I kind of I kind of am bothered by your premise that that's the spot that they open for a power hitter. Where are these other guys right to stick in the? Lineup. <laughs> oh no! But again, I think you need more than one. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, if I'm going to find somebody that's either going to, you know, force Carpenter into a, a bench or platoon role, or at least force him to produce, rather yeah. than putting him out there when he's not producing. If you're going to find a, you know, another, you know, you're, I don't think you're going to get that third baseman and a corner outfielder of note, um, unless. And again, if you do, then where are you going to play Tommy Edmond? So if you're going to do both of those things, Edmund's not going to play. He's going to be back into a utility role, or he's not going to play every day. Uh, right. if, if you have Wong and you address those two things, because you know, you know you're going that route. So if you're looking at the totality in a baseball setting, I would rather have Colton Wong than Tommy Edmund. I, yeah. I, I, no question. When, when I'm going into game three of the finances into it, when I'm taking the money oh, and putting yeah. that yeah. into it, it's I easy. think it, it's a sensible move. It's not necessarily going to make you as good. I don't think it will be. I think you're going to be less than there, 
But right. again, is the difference an eleven million dollar difference between those two guys? From a financial standpoint, it's an essential move, and this yes. is the point that you know that, that the Cardinals are going to argue, and we can debate it. We certainly can. Yep. Um, I have, you know, for them, it's an essential move because they had zero ticket revenue this year, um, or slightly above negligible. Um, if, you know, I guess the revenue would be if some people kick their deposits down to the next year, they right. would still take that revenue, but negligible. Um, they went from expecting 3.4 million in ticket sales to zero ticket yep. sales, um, that they had for 2020. And that is no small thing. And, you know, I hear a lot of people go, well, where is this big revenue? Why didn't they use their revenues from previous years to then fund this year? You know, they're, they're insanely profitable. They are. That is exactly true. They the baseball teams have money. They yep. are really profitable. But if there's two things that were that should have been reinforced this year, it's one, those profits were used to cover this year, to make this year possible. Past year's profits and some teams plunging into debt yep. made this year possible. Like you cannot go um like I, I was I was amazed by one one of these teams was that was crying poor then got a private jet for players that traded <laughs> traded for <laughs> because they were like, we need to maintain the bubble. Right. 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 And we need to not have him be on a commercial flight and then unavailable to us as he goes through the reentry protocol. We got to do that. You know, the Cardinals rented 41 cars to move <laughs> around. So where did that money come? Oh, and they kept everybody employed and they cut, you know, bi-weekly checks to minor league. Where did that money come from? Well, it came from the coffers that had overflown in recent years. So that money had to come from somewhere. And there were multiple teams. You People will recall this, I hope. There were multiple teams that didn't want to play a season because they yep. knew it would be a loss. Yep. And it's not, you know, the Cardinals were presented as one of those teams. The Cardinals did not advocate. They advocated for a season. Right. Um, now they were they knew they were going to take a loss and they were trying to figure out how to do that. And in the end, they laid off a lot of the alumni players who had jobs. You yep. know, some of these guys who had made millions as players, um, they went to and said, hey, look, we don't we don't have the special assistant role for you anymore. Right. You know, we cannot rationalize after you've made millions as a player continuing your salary when we can cut that salary and keep somebody who didn't make millions. Right. Right. Or several job. somebodies, you know I mean? <laughs> right. Or several somebodies. Correct. Right. And so that was the, that was the decision that they made. Um, but the fact that they could make that decision in October and didn't have to make that decision in June, like some teams did, or right away, you know, as soon as the season ends, that was partially a measure of the calendar, but also partially of a measure of that they were using revenue from past years. That said, you know, so there was a clear financial. They could just lop off $11 million of spending right, right then and there. They, right. There's also a bit of strategy here. We cannot ignore that. Is the Cardinals and Colton and the industry at large has to wonder, okay, he's worth – 12 and a half million because that option says he was for an extension that was signed in a different economy. Yep. What is he on the open market? That's like, the question, you, right? Do you, you might really, you might bring him back and save half of the contract. You might bring him back for that contract for two years. Yeah. I mean, I saw that uh, fan graphs had their projections up yesterday, Derek, and 
they projected Colton Wong at two years, and I believe it was a, a two years and 15 total, so two at seven and a half AAV. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that that is what is happening. And, you know, basically, teams want to spend less money, right? Teams want to cut costs. And so they're making these moves. They are also, they're also, I don't want to say, no, they are. They're rigging the market. And, of course and they I, are. Yeah, they're flooding it. They're flooding it so that it will depress values. So they get the the double bounce. They yep. get the, the immediate relief of not spending. Then they also flood the market with free agents so that there's more supply than demand yep. and prices will drop. And it's so it's like this awful, terrible, no good, very bad sign of the economic situation for the for the majors. Correct. But it's also this revelation of the strategy that they're going to use. Yep. Like, okay, Colton, go out in the market, see what that's like. Okay, Yachty, go out in the market, see what that's like. Okay, Wainwright, go out in the market and see what that's like. Because whatever that is like is going to be worse than what you're asking for right now. Yeah. Because the the exchange rate is different. 100% and right. And the economy has cratered. I mean, look at the free agent marketplace at second base. I mean, there there are probably seven or eight quality free agent second basemen out there. You know, and so when you have that many now, you know, DJ LeMay, who's the top of the class, and he obviously can play anywhere, but I mean, he's the top of the class, and he's going to get paid a good bit. But even there, I saw the, the, the fan graphs projections on him, Derek, were $10 million a year for three years. I mean, yeah, for, that's, for, I that's mean, $8 million less than what he would have. Yeah, no, he's probably, my opinion is the Yankees are going to make him the qualifying offer and he's going to accept it because it's going to be, you know, probably more than what he would get in terms of AAV and then he can reassess. But the fact is that there's going to be a guy out there like Jonathan Scope, who's a gold glove finalist for Detroit this year, who's not an elite defender, but he'll go hit you 20, 25 home runs. His OPS will be league average-ish and he's a decent defender. He's probably going to be two or three million dollars. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean the 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 thing about how radically thing the the baseball has changed is Mike Leake had his option declined mm-hmm. by Arizona, right? That's a no-brainer. That would have happened if we had a full 2020 Normal, season. Yeah. yeah. Right? That was part of the trade. They traded with Seattle. So so he had the option decline on a contract that the Cardinals initially signed him to as a free agent. That contract was 5 years, 80 million dollars. His option, his option, Mike Leake Right, who, what, what's peak Mike Leake? Number three starter? Oh yeah, I mean maybe maybe four. But an innings hoss, right? Yeah, like a yeah, sinker yeah. ball, innings reliable guy, gonna give you a four two ERA, that kind of stuff. So yep. just five years ago, that was good enough for him to get an eighteen million dollar option to command that. <laughs> yeah. And with a five million dollar buyout. Yep. You know, and in, now you look at like. I mean, how many pitchers that are way better than him are going to sign for way less than that? I mean, Charlie Morton yep. had a $15 million option declined. Yep. He's going to sign for what? You know, I mean, he might sign to return to the Rays or to stay on the East Coast for half that. It's not going to be that. I can tell you that. And he was a, a postseason star. Yeah, And he's really good. Like, yeah. not just a postseason, but he's he's good. Um, yep. You know, he's a third starter, too, for a contender. Yep. Um. I just, 
you know, this list of guys is, is, is remarkable, the amount. And, and then you have the Rockies, one of the teams who likely did operate at a loss or definitely did operate yeah. at a loss this year. Um, you got Daniel Murphy, their option that they declined on him had a $6 million buyout. Yep. So they were like, you know what? It's more appealing to us to write you a $6 million check than to pay an additional $6 million to have you play for us. I mean, look at, look at Brad. This is, this is what's, you know, playing into all this, you know, Derek and the, the way the free agent marketplace is not only going to be based on our view, but you can tell how major league teams are, are viewing this when a guy like Brad hand clears waivers. It's one year, $10 million yeah. for a closer who could serve in a non-closer role, right? I mean, he's a really good reliever. I looked it up, Derek. Over the last five years, he's number seven in baseball in relief pitcher war amongst, yeah. amongst qualified relievers. You know, he's the modern-day Andrew Miller. This is the guy that right now, if you look at his, his time in Cleveland, so they had him for two-plus years. He had yeah. a, a fielding independent ERA of 2-6-something, and he struck out 13 batters per nine inning, and nobody claimed a one-year $10 million deal. Not the yeah. Yankees, not the Dodgers, not the none of the big money. Nobody did because what they're looking at is we'll get him for five million in free agency. We'd rather get him for three at fifteen. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That's exactly right. Yeah. And you had uh and think about what they gave up to get him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was not a cheap um, price, right? Yeah, and they and the, and Cleveland made the call. Cleveland who was like, Well, we gotta keep the guys that at least we gave up the prospects for. No. You know, I mean, yeah, it's, I mean, so, so Wong's available, um, you know, Wainwright's available, Molina's available, Brad Miller's available. There's another one of those second basemen that you were talking about. Um, You got, you know, Annabelle Sanchez, uh, Charlie Morton, Daniel Murphy, um, you know, Todd Frazier, Adam Eaton's available. They could revisit that. Um, You know, Ryan Braun, you know, uh, probably a pretty good DH for somebody. you know, what do you make of D Gordon? Uh, what what do you make of this free agent market that we're going to see? Besides the fact that it may not be January until there's any movement at all. Yeah, I mean, number one, I, and I I'm surprised that it's not uh, we've not heard anything about it. I mean, I think they've got to figure out the DH thing like now, like it is completely ridiculous if you're going to wait till January uh, to decide whether or not 15 teams have to account for a DH. I mean, I know that the marketplace is probably going to be slow uh, in free agency for the middle class, especially. But I mean, how do you, how do you even make a plan for your lineup if you don't know what's going to be in your lineup? I mean, you know, if you're if you're the Cardinals yeah. and there's a way you could sign a a guy like you know Carlos Santana for five million dollars because he's out there and he you know who knows he was bad this year but he was really good the year before that. You you can't he take that player. Yeah, and you can't take that player unless you have a DH spot, right? right you know, right. I think you, you, you know Nelson Cruz is not going to be getting a long-term deal. If you could, if you want Nelson Cruz in the National League, you better know you're going to have the DH because he can't play the field. Right. And I think, right. I think that you know Major League Baseball's got to figure that part out. I think sooner rather than later, and I don't know why it's not a, a pretty easy thing to figure out. Like, why don't you just go? The union's not going to say no. Just say, hey, we're going to continue this this year, and the union will be like, okay. Back, we haven't even talked about Tony La Russa. <laughs> World Series. Um, so should we do like quick hits with Kevin Wheeler? Sure, let's do it, man. <laughs> All right. Quick hits with Kevin Wheeler after we've covered Randy Rosarania, Colton Wong, the DH, negotiations. Here we arrive on, I don't even know how to do quick hits. I've never done those before. This is a, 
definite sports radio thing. Okay, yeah. we'll try this. Okay, so um, quick thoughts on Tony Larusa on the South Side. You spent a lot of time in Chicago. You know what that market is like. Is this just a storybook ending, and will it work? Um, I I think the baseball side of it should be okay. Um, the only way it goes sideways is if Tony doesn't adapt to the personalities in that clubhouse because. You know, it's different. It you know, he he acknowledged it, right, Derek? I mean, he he's been a guy that's notably been a not been a big fan, and he's been public in saying it of a lot of the demonstrative stuff, right? I mean, Correct. you know, and that that was evident in when we were covering him here in St. Louis. He was not a big fan of any of that stuff, and he you know, even in the last calendar year, had talked about it. He didn't like the Tatis swinging on a three zero pitch, for example, uh, and was right. vocal about it. Well, he's going to have to change that because he's yep. got a team full of guys that are going to do that. And they're not moving those players. <laughs> those players are going to be there, right? They're not moving Tim Anderson. They're not moving Eloy Jimenez or Luis Robert. They're not going to do that. So he's going to have to adapt. And assuming he does, and I don't think he takes the job if he's not willing at some level to, to change how he sees those things, then yep. if, if he adapts on that, I think he'll be fine from a baseball standpoint. Um, I understand why all of Chicago is angry. It's hilarious, Derek, because if you look at like St. Louis Twitter, People are like, oh, look, congratulations for Tony. Tony's a great manager. He knows what he's doing. He'll be fine. He invented a lot of these trends. And then the reaction in Chicago was, this is the worst thing ever. He's old and he's crotchety and he hates social justice and he and he hates yeah. emotional players. And by the way, there's some evidence, you know, his own words that backs up some of that. So you know, the, the key thing is he is going to have to change. And if he does, it'll be just fine. And if he doesn't, it's probably not going to last very long. One of the things to point out is he commented on Tatis, commented on Colin Kaepernick, commented on a lot of that stuff, right? Well, yep. what did none of those guys help him do? Never, none of them helped him win. None of them helped him win. And Tony La Russa had no problem with so many of the demonstrative things that went on with some of his great players with the Cardinals because they were helping him win. I mean, the guy um, had Ricky Henderson, for God's sake. The guy had Ricky Henderson. The guy had Jose Canseco. Yeah. <laughs> um, they, I mean, there were a lot of colorful characters on a very charismatic A's team. And, yep. and, and to be honest, Tony's one of them. I mean, Tony is in his own way. Yeah. Tony isn't above showboating at times. He just does it in a different way. Yep. Um, you know, I mean, I, I think, I think if they play well, I think some of the weaknesses for that team are his strengths um, as far as tightening up um, some defensive things, um, certainly tightening up some of the pitching stuff. I think, you know, he is going to bring, um, I think the, I think one of the things is going to be in his messaging. It's going to be very, it's going to be two things. One is how does he connect with those players and do they dismiss him as old? That would be bad because his reputation is not going to carry with them. Right. Um, two, I think it's all in the analytics department and, and their messaging to Tony. They have to make it think like it, it's his idea. They can't <laughs> tell him this is how you do things. They are going right. to have to have st- some soft diplomacy, which they can because he has always been doing some of these things. Yes. He just doesn't call them analytics. Right. So don't call them analytics. Call them strategy. Call, it's going to be in the messaging there. Yep. Um, if they play well, they play well from the beginning. They're going to be a really good team and he's going to be a part of it. Um, in part because he gets out of the way of the talent and in part because he he sharpens their rougher edges. Um, I, I think there's I think there's really a benefit. I was shocked um, by the fixation on his age in Chicago and not his credentials. 
um, and also not in, and also um, in some ways not recognizing what was happening. He's not going to be the manager there for the next four years. But you know no. what? He, he is going to shape the manager for the next four years. The guy who will be the manager, whether the the guy that is the manager that gives that team staying power, that group there staying power, is the one who Yadier uh, Molina is the one who Tony Larusa is going to shape. Right, I agree. And so yeah. I think that's interesting. So World Series, what was your thought on the actual World Series? Not 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 the uh, not how it ended, um, but how it was played. I thought it was phenomenal. I mean, it was exciting. You had, you know, back and forth. I mean, the game four is one of the most entertaining games in uh, that I can think of in the last 10, 15 years in the World Series. It's not, yep. you know, it's one not, of the best games I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not quite game six of 2011, but it's also not far off. <laughs> I mean, well, that was terrible, though, for four innings. You can't say that. No, about I, game, I agree. Game four was remarkable from the beginning. I, the, the only reason I, w- I put more emphasis on game six is because it was win or go home for one of those two teams, for the Cardinals. That's fair. It, was an, it was an elimination game, and you're That's right, fair. it was it was ugly early, but, man, you had the dramatic back and forth, extra innings. Tremendous you know, finish. Walk-off homer. You know, yeah, there, that's was, you know all of that combined. Um, yep. And game four wasn't far off. I mean, it had a lot of those elements. It just wasn't an elimination game for either team. Correct. Um, yeah, yeah, good point. But I, I thought it was great. I will say one of the things that I didn't like about the World Series, even though I understand it, is the way that it was paint by numbers, or at least seemed to be paint by numbers when it came to pitching moves. Um, it did. And, and I think paint by numbers works brilliantly over six months, over five years, you know, over large samples of games, doing things that way and doing things with a fixed purpose is going to work. And I think the Tampa Bay Rays have demonstrated that. But elimination games are about the moment. What is happening right now? What are my options? How have those guys been pitching? Because what you've been in the last five to 10 days is much more important than what you generally are on a June day in the regular season. And, you know, you know, this comes down to the Blake Snell decision in game six, but there were plenty of other decisions like that made by both teams in, yeah. in the rest of the series. And I, I'm fine with pitching by bullpen. I'm fine with being aggressive on pitching changes, but I'm not fine with things that are done based on, you know, essentially a pregame plan. Like, this is what, what we're going to do, and this is how we're going to do it. Like, no, no, you've got to be able, like, the best leaders in any walk of life, whether it's business, whether it's sports, whether it's the military, you have to be able to adapt to what you're seeing in the moment yeah, and not go by just what the plan says. And I think it that would... that's maybe a lesson the Rays are going to learn moving forward, that what works over a huge sample size isn't always ideal for a moment. You hired the manager for a reason. You know, it was to manage personalities in addition to managing the stats that you give him. Yes, um, and and the thing is that you you know, and you, if you didn't, then maybe rethink why you hired him. Yeah, but uh, yeah, and again, think of you know, we're talking about Larusa. What does Larusa always say? Men, not machines. Yeah, right. Machines can take input and data, and you're going to get a predictable result. Human yeah. beings are not like that. I mean, Nick Anderson is a phenomenal reliever. He sucked in the playoffs. He was terrible. He was giving up runs every time. Yes, exactly. So you can't go to him in that spot, even though you've done it all year, even though you did it in earlier playoff rounds. He had not, he he was not the same guy. And, you know, again, Blake Snell, 
the previous game, oh, he gave up a two-run homer once we let him go the second time through. What well, doesn't it mean it's going to happen again. You have to look yeah. at how he's throwing and what the stuff and what what are the hitters looking like against him. And yeah, you're going to be wrong on these things sometime, but don't be wrong by simply following a template. I mean, there there is no template for managing an elimination game. You have to go by what yeah. you're seeing. So Snell, you keep in. I oh real quick. I, for sure, I, I was, yes. I was disconcerted. I, I was I was discouraged by the off day, like just being there, reporting it, talking to the managers, and being involved in all that. I mean, the managers called their shots. Whether it was Dave Roberts telling us how many. Um, innings or batters that Ker- Clayton Kershaw was going to get 24 right. hours before Clayton yeah. Kershaw had thrown a pitch, or it was uh, Kevin Cash telling us exactly what he was going to do with Snell and his bullpen again 24 hours before anyone had thrown a pitch. I mean, it was fascinating, and I thought Kevin Kiermeyer had some of the best answers. Where he's like, "Look, I think that was Blake Snell's game because I was watching him do things he hadn't, you know." And that that's a key point. You had to now. There was a deterioration to his stuff. Yeah, there was. I mean, I, I understand that argument that like some of the things that got him in game two were then rising up in game six, right? The similar thing, walk, then uh, base hit by the by the number nine hitter, um, flat or slider, things like that. I get that. Well, then don't go to Nick Anderson. That That's the other element of that. So you would have been, uh, um, okay, so then quick uh, thought here, because this is an easy one, World Series at a neutral site. Were you, are you a fan? Not a fan. I mean, in this, for this year, it's fine. I didn't have, you know, this 2020, there are a lot of things that are fine. Uh, in general, <clears throat> it's a terrible idea. It's, it's yeah, a terrible I, idea. I can't believe that somebody as intelligent as Scott Boris thinks it's a good idea. You cannot. He I wants mean, the show. Yeah, I understand. But how do you, how do you sell tickets in a neutral site when you don't know who's going to be in the series until two days before? Well, and, the same. They do that with the Super Bowl, except for I guess yeah, they have a they week. Got, but, but they got two weeks in advance, and that game is sold out a year in advance. The Super Bowl, which been is sold his out point, forever. But, but that's his it, point. That's what he thinks you should get. Right, but who's going to do that for a seven-game series when it could end in four, and it could well, end in five or six or seven? Exactly. Exactly. No, that's the, that's the best point. Yeah, is he's and who's just going somewhere it. for an entire week? I, I did. No, yeah, but you will, but, you know, your job, I, I'll do it too, it's my job, you know, you're not going to find, you know, like, it's not, yeah, it's, the World Series not is not a, a destination game, it's, it's, it's not, not one just one game, game, right, I mean, like, yeah. it works just fine for the Super Bowl or for the final four in college basketball, because it's, it's a very limited number of teams, and you know um, they're going to play, and you know, yes, and you know that they're going to play, and you know what's going on, it, it, it's yeah. just not a good, eye. plus, you know, I think what those events lose, um, and, you may not notice it on TV, but what they lose is they don't have the energy that Bush Stadium had on, on Game Six for 2011. You know, or what you don't... Game Four could have had in Tampa, which exactly. or St. Pete, which would have been amazing. Yes, and I and I think that's a secondary thing to me. I mean, it's it's important, but the practicality of it, you know, I mean, like what, what was it Sunday? Sunday that the uh, that the, the the Dodgers or Rays moved on, and the World Series started on Tuesday. Yep. I mean, how how are you going to get? How's anybody going to do that? How are any fans Dodgers. from the team yep. going to get there? Yeah, Dodgers. How are any fans from L.A. going to be able to pull that off for the games that you know are going to happen as opposed to the ones later in the series that may not even happen? Right. No, you're right. You're right. All right, then we conclude with this. We conclude where the season concluded. They're about to hand the trophy. They just got to the end of a baseball season and a pandemic as a professional sports league that did what no other professional sports league had tried to do to that point, 
which was travel around the country during the coronavirus and basically have these little portable bubbles to try to stay away from the virus and keep a season on its feet, play in front of empty stadiums, but try to be in the community. Um, They had two teams with outbreaks, the Marlins and, of course, the local nine that ended up with uh, 18 in their one outbreak of five additional players that tested positive um, during the earlier entry process or that that summer camp. Um, Baseball got to the end, got right there, handed the trophy then to somebody who was positive for Mm COVID-19. What did you make of, do you look at that and go, that is a poetic ending? Do you look at that and say that was a horrific ending? Do you look at that and say, oh my gosh, what were they thinking ending? How did you look at the Justin Turner thing? Removed from the game after the seventh inning, put into isolation, refuses to stay there when MLB security tells him to, says he is going to join his team. They say, stay. He says, I am going to join my team once in a lifetime thing. And the team sides with him. I mean, it, first, first of all, it's perfectly 2020, right? I mean, doesn't that sum up this calendar year pretty yeah. well? Like you have a set of rules that everybody agreed on, but I don't like those rules anymore. So I'm not going to follow them. I'm going to do whatever I want. And, I only got to win the World then, Series because of those rules. Yeah. And, and nobody, nobody enforces the rules. I mean, like, I don't know if MLB was just like, well, we're not going to physically restrain him. So what else can we do? Um, but, and here's the thing I don't know, Derek, because now the season was over, right? Mission accomplished. You know, Major League Baseball got through the two months plus the postseason. They got the TV money they were looking for. Everything's over. Do they even have the authority to suspend him for it? Because the, the the COVID rules were very clear. If you flagrantly violate the protocols, you could be sent home and be done for the year. Does that even apply when the season's over? Can they suspend him for next year for doing that? Because the championship season ends with its final out. It's that over, a, yeah. Yeah, that's a fast. So championship season, just so people who listen, that that's the phrase that baseball uses to describe the entirety of its season when right. it is in collective bargaining. Um, boy. I mean, it's terrible. I mean, let's be honest. It's, it's, it's a ridiculous look. It's completely selfish. And I understand completely every emotion that Justin Turner is going through, but how many, how many, no, I understand it, but what, what, how many other families are going through that right now with a, with a parent or a grandparent in a nursing home that they can't visit or somebody that's in an ICU somewhere that can't have visitors because it's too dangerous yeah. And I mean, like a lot of people are going through things that suck and are really hard and are mm-hmm. way harder than not celebrating a championship on a baseball field. Yeah, I know and people he just blows who... all of that out of the water because he doesn't feel like missing it. That's ridiculous. Well, the argument that, well, it was a once in a lifetime thing. I, I know people who have had deaths in their family. Um, yeah. And not because... been there to help their family. And not right. been there to hold their hand. Um, yeah. You know. Justin Turner is going to live to play another game. He might win another World Series. He might, but that person isn't going to die again. That's yep. a once in a lifetime. That's a, that's a once in a lifetime experience. And I'm, um, I'm I'm hopeful that you know nothing terrible will come out of it. I mean, I, you know, I, I I understand the majority of the time nothing terrible comes out of it, right? I mean, we understand the numbers, but the risk of it being even one person. It, just because you you don't want to be held back from celebrating is an incredibly selfish thing to do, and it's yeah. incredibly stupid to do that with your manager who is a cancer survivor standing right next to you. And yeah. 
it's incredibly short-sighted for all those players. And by the way, tell me this, Derek. How do they all get cleared to go home the next day? Well, they went through uh, two rounds of testing. But the, the, we, we all know that the incubation period of this thing is anywhere from five to ten days. Correct. And the Cardinals found that out the hard way. Yeah, so my so, Dodgers. So send them all back home where they're going to be with family members and neighbors and stores. And we have no idea what's going to right. happen beyond that. Like, that's the, another irresponsible thing. How do you not – how do people not understand at this point that the incubation period is not one negative test the next day? It yeah, just that, doesn't work that way. I think they understand it. I, uh, I think don't the care. More, I was going to say, I think the more damning thing is that they just don't care. Um, and that it's was not clear. our problem anymore. The season's over. We got done what we need to get done. Do whatever you right. want. That's exactly right. That it was all about finishing the season for the money, not not protecting them against their health, which is one of the players' complaints is the, you know, some of the players involved in the negotiation was like, look, this is a health thing. We don't know what the long-term ramifications are of this. You know, Lane Thomas experienced some of that, the Cardinals yeah. think. Um, they think it really limited his ability to play with symptoms that they did not initially think were related to COVID, but now they wonder. And, yeah. you know, so they're, they're but just, I would also uh, put this know. on the players too. I mean, you, but you know, I was just going to say, and then it takes one of their the own. Of, yeah. Yeah. And so the players say the lack of safety. And then the entire team surrounding him is also like, yeah, come here, buddy. Give me a hug. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, that's what I'm getting at is like yeah. the players made that a part of the negotiation because they were like, you guys only care about your money. We need to care about the players. And then at the end it's, players saying man we just care about the championship we just yep. care about celebrating together and whatever happens happens and you just hope that it doesn't happen that way um you yeah. hope that nothing no one is harmed by this um no one is infected uh, i mean i think there's a real serious question for baseball to ask is that how does a guy who'd been in a bubble for four weeks get it yeah who had been going through the testing where was that seam and mm -hmm. if so um how far could it have spread even before that game because mm -hmm. they were all together? So, um, and then the other part of it is, I think there was a real, real, there's a real crisis in truth when you have a GM or no, I'm sorry, president of baseball operations um, tell the media that their eyes are lying with what they just saw. Right. And not, and and going and and going twice saying, well, you didn't. No, that didn't happen. No, that didn't happen. And then finally being, look, there's a photo of you, you, you. There's a photo of you with Justin Turner and with Dave Roberts and the trophy, and no one is wearing a mask. We can see you smiling. Yep. You know how do you explain it? You can't tell us three times over again that that didn't happen when millions of people at home on Fox saw it happen mm -hmm. and you can't and then can't go oh well it didn't happen that way it did happen that way yeah we we are not at a point where truth is pliable own it explain it and now tell us what you're going to do with the repercussions yeah that live you know you cannot tell us that we did not see what we all saw what we all know, what you all just spent the entire season telling us you needed to avoid. Yep. And also, you probably ought to call the Cardinals and explain to them why they had a guy like Austin Gomber who never tested positive but was in quarantine for, what, 72 hours because of contact tracing? Yep. Why your guy who tested positive was in isolation for 70 minutes. Because the season ended. And that's the, that's the thing. Everybody's going to use that. Everybody's going to use that as the get out of jail free card to be like, well, you know, 
Yeah, exactly. I'm, I mean, like, here's part of the problem. Well, not part of the problem. It's the problem is that people who who have positions of, of some kind of power, and let's be honest, uh, Justin Turner in that scenario has power. He's a star yeah, he's player. A player. He's made a lot of money. He's a veteran. And, yes, and the players are essentially, you know, they, they have as much power and leverage as anybody in that scenario. Uh, if even if Andrew Friedman had gone down to him and said, Justin, you can't go out there, he would have done it anyway. And what can they do to him? He's That's a free what Friedman agent. said. Friedman a, said that. Yeah, he's a free agent. You can't do anything to him. He was a free agent at the time. That's yeah. true, too. Yeah, so, like, he's a free agent. I don't think Ugh. the 2020 rules are applying anymore. So, basically, you know, in that moment, there's no protocol, and it's all on the judgment and the uh, and the lack or, or the lack thereof of the players involved. And to them, clearly – the emotion of winning matters more than everything else. He's going to face a suspension. So how can they suspend get, him? Uh, do, the rules, do the rules apply once the season's over? They will negotiate a suspension with the union. Yeah. I mean, I hope um, so, but they will. I, both I'm sides, not- both sides see the, the bat. It's a bad look. Um, you know, the, uh, the comparison was made very different things, huge different things. But as far as, you know, representing the, the best interests of baseball kind of notion um, with what Guriel did during the World Series um, with the with the hand gesture. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, so there's a comparison there that that the that on baseball's biggest stage at this moment, you offered up an embarrassment to the league and that that's a violation, not just so of what, protocols, but of spirit. So what does that look like? I mean, because the, the punishment for flagrantly violating protocols in this season was being sent home, being sent home. So I and, guess, yeah, but I mean, like it could have been 40 games. It could have been 20 games. It could have been 30 games. So, so what's he get? Does he get, does he I get mean, 10, that's what will be negotiated. Does he get 10 off at the beginning of next season? Yeah. I mean, ten doesn't seem like very much for that. It does if the guys season's that, only sixty games. I mean, guys get that for not hitting a batter with a pitch. Right, right. He gets the Joe Kelly suspension. Yeah, that's right. yeah. I mean, come on, man. I don't know. I don't know. I, I guess he has to live with his actions, which I'm sure he doesn't. I'm sure care he'll care. Yeah. <laughs> Unless something again, I you know, hopefully nothing's going to happen with anybody. There's no. You know, it's not a super spreader event. Hopefully it's all fine. You know, I, again, we understand. I know there's bros yelling at us now, like, dude, they're all going to recover. Yeah, I hope so. And I hope that their grandparents do. And I hope that, you know. But you don't know. Like, no, this, how do point, we know I, what the five-year out is of this? You don't know. On these guys, I mean, And these guys are also not being tested anymore. They are not. They're done. So these guys that are all being sent home who have been exposed are not being tested. We don't know if they're positive or not. And it may not affect them. But if right. they go out to a restaurant or they are going to a grocery store or, you know, whatever, I mean, we, that's how this thing is so bad because it goes that way. Like That's why we're facing the shutdowns and all the problems that we have because this thing spreads in weird and unfortunate ways. I want to thank everybody for listening to this podcast. We, we, we promised quick hits and then we just did a whole entire other podcast. <laughs> We did the doubleheader. Is it a seven no, this, inning? This is this is a this is an eleven inning doubleheader. Eleven inning doubleheader. Nice. Yeah. Well, no, this was a doubleheader, but the first game won eleven innings. There you go. So, That'll it's work. Because we don't have a DH. <laughs> it's also because we don't have a pitch clock. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I got to tell people about our sponsor one last time. Get organized with Closet by Design of St. Louis. Update your closet, garage, office, pantry, and more. Call one eight hundred by Design. That's Closet by Design. Call one eight hundred B Y D E S I G N. One eight hundred by Design. Closet by Design St. Louis, the official sponsor of the best podcast in baseball. KMOX 1120's Kevin Wheeler, thank you so much for joining me, sir. 
Anytime, my friend. And thank you for joining me on the show this week. We did a nice little trade, so I'm happy about uh, that. Of course. The best podcast in baseball can be found at the St. Louis Post-Dispatch's website, stltoday.com. That's where you can find all of the World Series coverage, all of the Constant Cardinals coverage, and all of the coverage coming from, well, I mean, I guess a winter in isolation. I, there's no GM meetings to go to. There's no winter meetings to go to. Um, I guess, Kevin, the next time I'll be on the road is spring training, and we don't know when that will be. Yeah. Yep. And will you even, I mean, like, I'm wondering, you know, like how the coverage of spring training even goes if you don't have access to, you know, the players, the locker room. I I guess you can still be out on the fields and see things, but man. Maybe not. To be the spring of Zoom. Not doing that. You don't get anything from that. I mean, what are they going to do? Walk around with their iPhones and give us a Facebook live feed of BP? <laughs> I'll, you know, just, just mount a camera in the bullpens and we can watch them all. Well, thank you very much for joining me, man. Anytime, Derek. I guess, uh, I don't know, maybe there's a bubble in my future. There you go. Could be. Yay. Good luck with that. Maybe <laughs> maybe in my maybe in my future, too. You never know. Yeah. Yeah, we'll bubble together. All right. Cool. All right. We'll have lots of time to talk.